0: Well, Dennis gave a little introduction, and you still may be wondering, uh, who is this guy and why is he speaking today? Um, So before I tell you a little bit about myself and uh, get into the message, I want to tell you a story, and this is a true story. When I was teaching at Grace Brethren Christian School in Clinton back in the 90s, Our school was interested in a new curriculum. I don't know whether Grace Academy used this in recent years when they had the high school, I'm not sure, but it was called Understanding the Times. And they were having a training session out in Colorado Springs. So my administrator back then, since I was the head of the social studies department at that time said, I want you to fly out there and I want you to attend this conference, and I want you to see if this is a curriculum that is worth bringing back to our school. So I had the privilege to fly out there with uh, two former teachers at the school that were then uh, administrators at different schools, and we met up together, and we flew out there. And when I left, there were a couple significant events that occurred in that time frame. One of them is we had some very close friends who were heading back to their house after going to church on Wednesday evening, and they started fire, uh, following a fire truck. And then the fire truck turned down their street. And then as they got closer, they saw that it was their house that was on fire. And by the time the fire department arrived there, it was too late to save the house, and they lost everything. So that occurred just before I was flying out to uh, Colorado Springs. Then, on the airplane, flying out there, they had, this is before cell phones became real big, they had a sky phone. And for about 10 bucks, you could make a phone call. And I thought, this is pretty cool. I will call my wife over the air somewhere between DC and Colorado Springs and I will say hello on a sky phone. So I called her up and I was talking to her And then she informed me that a house that a friend and I had just renovated, we spent thousands of dollars and hundreds of hours, and we had put it on the market. A rainstorm had come in, and the sump pump had failed in the basement, and all the brand new carpeting that we put in there was flooded. So that was the background that I had as I'm now flying across the country for about a week to go to this conference. So on the day that I arrived at the actual conference site, we checked into the, to the uh, hotel in the afternoon, and I found out that they were having the intro se- uh, session just an hour later. So I'm up into my room getting all ready to go to the session, and the speaker at the session, and, and I would say there were as many people as that are in, in this room right now, he said, I want you to tell us your name, uh, your ministry, you know, a little bit about your family. And we'll just go around the room so we can kind of get to know each other. Now, I'm pretty stressed out. I'm sitting in the back, because that's where I usually sit, even here, I sit toward the back. I'm sitting back there, and I'm starting to listen to these introductions, Hi, my name's John Doe, I work at this school, I'm married, have three kids. The next person, it was, it was getting pretty redundant. And if you know my mind, um, I have something that I'm thinking of. How many of you in here are old enough to remember when um, Ross Perot ran on a third-party ticket against Bush and Clinton? How many of you remember that? And he had a, he had a um, running mate named James Stockdale. Okay, so it's my turn and I say my name's George Wernickel, blah. I'm married, kids, blah, 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 blah and I said right now I'm feeling kind of like James Stockdale when he was asked who why are you are running for vice president of the United States he said and this is what I said at the conference who am I and why am I here so I injected this in, and the whole place erupted in, in laughter because that debate had just occurred probably within that last year. So I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. This dull, redundant repetition, of place is laughing. We get done the session, and an older guy that was sitting in two seats comes up to me. He said, sir, I didn't appreciate what you said. I went to the Naval Academy with James Stockdale. I served in Vietnam with James Stockdale. In fact, we were both captured and we spent a few years in the POW camps there. And I just don't appreciate it. Now I'm thinking to myself, at that time there's 275 million people in America and probably four or five billion people in the world. And I'm sitting two seats away from a good friend of James Stockdale (laughs) that took a joke that I said and made it into a big deal. So I apologized to him. I kept an eye on him the rest of the week, and I think he finally cracked a smile on the last day of the conference. Now, I say all that because who am I and why am I here this morning? The first thing I want you to know is that Jesus Christ is my personal Savior. I accepted him when I was in elementary school after hearing messages from my Sunday school teachers, my vacation Bible school teachers. Um, stockade, which was like Boys Brigade, Awana back then, the pastor of the church. And I simply said the sinner's prayer one night when I had my prayers and I went to bed. Um, I believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. That's what separates Christianity from every other religion in the world. There's no other God. There's no other way to get to heaven except for Christ. And that's why I chose to serve him with my life over the years. Now, I was reading in Proverbs today, chapter 20, and it talked about who can say that they are without sin. We're all sinners. And I I tell you, I have struggled in my spiritual walk a few times. In fact, Satan loves to cast doubt into your salvation when you mess up. He likes to say, oh, you really can't be a Christian because you, you've messed up here. So I have reaffirmed that decision on a number of times I've been baptized. When I graduated from high school, and the high school that I went to was a public high school in New Jersey, I did not know of a single teacher that professed Jesus Christ the Savior, not one. I suspect that there might have been one or two Christians. I remember the AD who would use the D and H word a few times in in PE class. He did a a prayer for the athletic banquet and and closed in Jesus' name. So I thought that was pretty cool. He might have have been a believer. I don't know. And of course, um, when I grew up in a church, most of us who went to the youth group, we didn't want to be made fun of uh, in school. I remember one time I was uh, playing the piano for the youth group on a Sunday night, and the guy who shared a locker next to me, he was dating a girl from my church, he said, Ed, ah, Georgie was playing the piano at church school on Sunday night, and he started blabbing that around. So I didn't take a strong stand back then because of the peer pressure. But a neat thing happened. I went to the King's College in New York, and I majored in history with the intent of becoming a teacher, and it was there under the teaching of Christian professors, the mentoring of Christian coaches, I played basketball in college, uh, the encouragement of Christian friends who weren't ashamed to be believers that I began to grow in my faith. And then I decided to change my ambition from going back to my high school. You remember the show called Welcome Back, Cotter? So they got reruns on air. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to go back to my high school, teach, coach, tell some jokes, and, and do that. But hearing the testimony of some of the students who were a couple years older than me that went and taught in Christian school, I decided that would be a venue that I would take, because I wanted young people to know about Christ. I did not want them to be ashamed of their faith, and that's why I moved into that ministry. So in 1978, I came down to Maryland. I lived in New Jersey, went to college in New York, and came down to Maryland to teach at Camp Springs Christian School. In 1978, I married my high school sweetheart, Holly. She's sitting over here with my family. And you've probably seen her ushering uh, in the back a couple times at the doors in the the fall and the early winter. And um, she is a Proverbs 31 woman who serves others all the time and serves her family. So I just retired, as you heard Dennis mention, after 43 years in Christian ministry uh, the last 35 being at Grace Brother in Clinton, and my wife's still working there as an RN and student activities at, uh, director, coaching cheerleading, and she's managing all the COVID issues. And any of you that are in education, you know the kind of stress that that causes right now. Prior to my retirement as head of school, and you heard Dennis mention this a little bit in the introduction, uh, as the head of school, I had a chance to consult with and provide some advice to Pastor Jeff Thornley, to Lloyd Chadwick, to Wayne Canode, to Matt Duransky, to Dr. Wexler, to Charletta Jones, to Dennis Fay and school board members, the ones that I know are Steve and Lewis Twine. And I also know the current head of school at Grace Academy, uh, Dwayne Johnson, because we coached against each other back in the 90s. He was a very good basketball coach and he beat me a couple times, so I never forgot that. So I say all this just so you know that even before my wife and I started attending this church back in the summer, I had a connection, and this church was also an offshoot of the Temple Hills Church that Pastor Dixon and his wife started, a church and school, and this, this was a, so I've had a connection here for a long time, even though I didn't start worshiping here until this summer. Now, Jeremiah nine twenty four and 1 Corinthians 1, repeats the verse, says, Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So I, I want you to please try to understand, I'm going to be sharing a lot of stuff about my family, a lot of stuff about my, uh, my upbringing, and, and I don't want to do that as being boastful in the flesh, but I want to do it as being boastful in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done for me and what he's done for my family. And I want to share some of this with you to encourage you the same way. Um, last week, four families came up to this stage and they dedicated their children to the Lord. Many of you were here and you saw that. And actually what they were really doing is they were affirming their decision that they were going to raise their children to know Christ. My parents did this when I was an infant. I don't remember it. You know, you're a little baby, six months old. They bring you up there. You know, the pastor says a prayer. Sometimes the baby cries. Sometimes they're real cute, you know. But my parents, they dedicated me. Um, Holly and I were blessed with four children, two girls and two boys. And when they were uh, basically probably less than a year old, we had them dedicated at our church. And my children were raised in church. They were fortunate enough because I worked at Grace Brethren in Clinton. They went all through school there. All four of them began their careers in Christian college and their higher education. Three of the four graduated from those institutions. They married fellow believers I have 13 grandchildren, there's a, there's a, um, a verse that talks about the, the blessing of that that I'll share a little bit later. Um, we've had the privilege to observe our children dedicate our grandchildren. I mean, how, how neat is that? It's, it's kind of four generations in my family. Uh, we have a, a 12-year-old grandson named Ryan who has a very rare genetic disorder. When he was diagnosed with this 11 years ago, there were only 150 other kids in the world that were ever diagnosed with this. It's called Pitt-Hopkin syndrome, and he has two chromosomes missing, uh, or two genes missing in his 18th chromosome. So he has constant seizures. He will have to be cared for the rest of his life. In fact, my wife and I uh, are watching him this weekend because my daughter and son-in-law and granddaughter are up in Atlantic City playing in some, some soccer tournaments. My purpose today is to encourage you to establish a godly heritage as you raise your children, as you speak into the lives of your grandchildren... And if you're not married or you don't have children, to be involved in the lives of your nieces, your nephews, your godchildren, or other children that God brings your way. Because you can still minister and you can still speak into their lives. I was blessed to have godly grandparents. My mom's parents we went to church with when I was growing up. My grandfather had retired from the postal service and they moved to New Jersey from Philadelphia and he worked as the custodian in a church. And probably once or twice a month, we went over to my grandparents' church after dinner or after lunch or after church for for lunch. My grandma made a roast beef and because our senior pastor sometimes did an extended invitation, the roast beef got a little dry So I remember that was her specialty, dry roast beef, and then she had um, iced tea that she mixed with, instead of putting lemon juice in, she put orange juice in. And I couldn't figure out why the taste was different. And then later on, my sister said, didn't you know that grandma did this? So there are a couple memories that I have um, of, you know, attending church with them going over. But here's the key thing. My grandparents were believers. So they raised my mom in a church, and she became a believer because they raised her in a church. My dad was taken in by his aunt and uncle when he was six months old. His biological mother had cancer and died six months after he was born. And then my biological grandfather had served in World War I. Now I'm really giving away my age here. You can go back to World War I. And he had uh, contracted tuberculosis. And as a result of that, he spent his adult life in and out of veterans hospitals they put him in the iron lung they opened up the hospital windows thinking that that would somehow kill the tuberculosis germs that were in his body but he was unable to care for my dad so my great aunt and uncle who I consider to be my grandparents because that's how I raised they took in my father and his older brother and they raised them they took my father to church and there at church as a teenager my father accepted Christ Now, my grandparents had a little fallen out and they stopped attending church, but my my dad continued to attend church. And then, after he got out of the military, where he served as a Marine during the uh, Korean War, he became a police officer. And as a police officer, he was a tough disciplinarian. We knew we weren't going to mess with my dad, but he provided for his family and he took us to church. On occasion, I remember he would have a fellow officer come over for dinner. Sometimes they would park their police car in the driveway and leave the the, um, radio on, then come in, leave the the, uh, door open so they could hear in case they got called. But I remember he was very bold. He would say grace. He sometimes would offer a devotional thought to the family that the police officer could hear. He worked with the youth in the church. He started a Bible study before work in the morning where he invited fellow detectives to come and he shared the gospel message. And when he died and I spoke at his funeral, several officers came up to me afterwards and said, as a result of my dad starting Bible study and sharing the gospel, they became believers. He passed away 11 months before my oldest grandson Shane was born. But one of the things that he confided in me before he passed away is that he prayed for his family every day. He prayed for his children, and he prayed for his grandchildren. I believe he probably futuristically prayed for his great-grandchildren as well, but he never had the privilege to see them. My mom is still alive, and she has four children. She has 10 grandchildren and 23 great-grandchildren, and I know that my mom prays for all those because she prays. As I was preparing this message, I came across the Facebook post. Many of you guys are on Facebook, and there's this little site that comes up. Do you remember? And a lot of times it has famous actors and actresses and musicians and different things, and do you remember this and all that? Well, here was a message that came up when I was preparing this. It says, do you remember when you were a kid and you were made to go to church and now you don't go at all. And I thought, wow, does that describe what has happened in the United States of America in Christian families over the last 50 years or so? How many kids have dropped out? And we need to have a godly solution to keep that from occurring. Many many uh, children go off to college where the faith that they learn gets attacked and then they, they fall away. So what I'd like to do now is I'd like to share a few verses on how I believe you can raise godly children and godly grandchildren. I realize from the message on Facebook that there are some people in here who may have suffered some heartbreak and having their children or grandchildren depart from the faith, may have rebelled against the Lord in their upbringing. But let's go through these scriptures together and let's see what we can do to continue the training and to call these people back to Christ. Okay, the first scripture I want to share is one that if you've grown up in the church, you're very familiar with Deuteronomy 6 4 to 9. So let's look at that on the screen and I'll read it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now that's a monumental task. Many parents today, of course, work, husband and wife both work to put food on a table and pay the mortgage and do all that. And you have your children for a limited time when they get home from school. And then, of course, in today's world, many children are involved in sports and dance and and drama and everything else. So the amount of time that parents spend with their children today is much less than what they spent 50, 75, 100 years ago. But I want to tell you just a couple little things that I did when my children were growing up. Obviously, they were in church every week, and they were in a Christian school every day. So I didn't need to kind of blast the gospel down their throats. So I looked for little ways that I could share with them. When my children were young, I was the one that put them to bed at night. And when we went to bed, I prayed with my children and I taught them how to pray. Now we did the now I lay me down to sleep when they were young, but we always prayed for all of our family members. And I did that till they were basically in kindergarten and first grade. On Sundays, my wife used to work uh, at Southern Maryland Hospital part-time. The reason we had her working part-time is when our kids were little, we wanted her to be home. We didn't want her, the kids being raised by different babysitters. We wanted my wife to be at home. So she worked two nights a week at Southern Maryland Hospital. And when she had the weekend shift, she came home Saturday night, Sunday morning, got the kids ready, I took them to church. and Then when we got home. I didn't want them making a lot of noise because I wanted her to be able to sleep the whole day because she had to go in that night. So I would take them to Henson Creek in Temple Hills, which was probably less than five miles from where I lived. And we would wade in that crystal little clear stream. We'd see some of the fish. Uh, we'd see a beaver every now and then. Uh, they had a lot of fossils in the creek. And I would just kind of remind them that God created this beauty Anytime we went on vacation, especially when we were in nature, we used to go to West Virginia uh, and we would go to the woods resort and there were a lot of trails through the woods and a lot of streams. And my oldest daughter, uh, you know her, she especially likes animals. So as we were out there exploring and stuff, once again, I would talk about the beauty of God's creation and the fact that this just did not pop into place through evolution over billions of years. Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3 are very clear that God was the creator of the heavens and earth. And there's no other possible way that it could have happened. In fact, in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 20, it tells the people of the world that they're going to be without excuse if they reject Christ because God made the creation. He made it so beautiful that it was evident to everyone that it could not have happened any other way. So I would just use these little times to point out that there is a creator and, and it's God. Okay, there are... Um, some parallel passages. The Old Testament would have a passage and then the New Testament writer a lot of times would piggyback off of that and repeat it, maybe repeat it and add a little bit to it. So I'm just going to give you the the short paraphrase on this. God disciplines the people that he loves. You can see that Old Testament and New Testament. And here's another interesting thing. I'm reading through Proverbs 20 because today is February 20th. So this morning I was reading through Proverbs 20 and Proverbs 20, says this, even small children are known by their actions. So is their conduct pure and upright? That's a good question because we know the children through their actions, don't, don't, don't we? I think that one of the hardest things to do as a parent is to say no, especially when the children wanna get their own way. It's the hardest thing. Being a parent takes persistence. Now, as grandparents, we can spoil the kids a little bit. But if the, grandparents are st- or if the grandchildren stay in our house, they have to live by our rules when they're in <laughs> our house. So they have to listen to the authority. If my wife says no, they better listen. If children don't learn self-control, if they always get their way, I'm sorry, there's going to be destruction and punishment awaiting for them as they become teenagers and adults. So I can't stress to you parents enough, learn how to say no. A verse that many of you who've grown up in church have heard many, 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 many times, Proverbs 22, verse 6, start off children on the way they should go, and even when they're old, they won't turn from it. So this is the hope that we have as as parents, as grandparents, that we are training our children to know Christ so that when they're old, they won't depart from it. Now, it doesn't mean that they won't stray, okay? And some of you, um, some of you have seen children and grandchildren stray. And I know that that is painful to see. Um, If you started your family before you became a believer, or if you started your family when you were young in your faith or immature, or maybe you weren't walking with Christ, and you did not have a chance to raise your children as you should have. It's not too late to start. You can give them a testimony about how Christ has changed your life. You can apologize to them if you, if you messed up along the way and start that relationship. But even as adults, they can see your testimony and they can come to, they can come to Christ or come back to him if they strayed. Proverbs 22.15, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far away. Now, if you talk to my kids, they're going to say that they were spanked 50 times a piece. And that simply isn't true. It was only a handful of times. I just made it memorable. (laughs) And I want to mention that spanking is biblical. It is throughout the book of Proverbs. I have people tell me, Mr. Hornicle, George, no, I'm not spanking because uh, I was spanked when I was a kid. I'm not doing it. I'll just uh, tell them 29 times to do it and yell at them until they do it. I'm sorry. Spanking is biblical, but it must be done under control, not out of anger. And I have a story to share. One, one day, I won't mention names, but he's sitting in here. My son was irritating his two older sisters And this went on for a while, and I was in the kitchen. They were in the rec room, TV was on, whatever. I got so mad, I grabbed my son, I put him on my knee, and I whacked him. And then a couple minutes later, I realized that I had done that out of anger. I didn't do it with an explanation that you shouldn't be irritating your sisters and causing strife. So I apologized to my son. And what did he do when I apologized? He wrapped his arms around me, and he gave me a big hug because he knew I loved him. And he knew that he shouldn't have been irritating his sisters. Okay, so those two things work together. Proverbs twenty nine fifteen piggybacks off of what I just said. A rod and a reprimand impart wisdom, but a child left undisciplined disgraces his mother. And by the way, there's another passage in Proverbs that says he disgraces his father as well. Folks, this is what's going to happen. And in the United States of America today, we watch the news. We see case after case after case where kids are causing their parents grief, disgracing their parents by their behavior. And, and folks, the family is the fundamental unit of everything in the world. When a family is good, the country's good. When the family's bad, the country's not doing well. And I just can't emphasize this enough. A couple verses over, Proverbs 29, 17, Discipline your children, and they will give you peace. They will bring you delights that you desire. I can say that I discipline my children, and they will acknowledge that. They might be a little mad at me for a couple times, but that's, that's normal. But we've enjoyed seeing our children walk with the Lord and then being blessed with their own children. and. Little humor every now and then when their children act up and they act up in the way that their parents did when they were little, I think that 's kind of sweet justice. <laughs> fathers this is ephesians six four don 't exasperate your children instead bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, children in verse one are instructed to obey their parents we can 't forget that old and New testament, children are to obey their parents but Fathers, here's the warning that I want to give you. You can go to one of two extremes. You can become the dictator that those kids are scared to do a thing because you're the dictator, and you can intimidate them through your behavior so that when they're in the house, they're good. But if that's how they grow up, one day they're going to rebel against the repression that they felt. The other extreme is letting them do anything that they want and indulging them. And then the result is pretty much the same. So please listen to the scripture. Please listen to my words, and if you need to make some corrections, make the corrections now. Second Timothy 1:7: "For the spirit of God gave, uh, for the spirit that God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love and self-discipline. And here's what I want to mention: Don't let a two-year-old in your house run the house. Listen, I've been an educator. I have friends. I have seen people bow down to their two-year-olds. They throw a little temper tantrum. Folks, a two-year-old can't do anything to you. You're bigger. You're stronger. You have authority. And there are some children that have strong wills. And with the children to have strong wills, then you have to be persistent. And one of the things that I, I do want to recommend, I've talked about the rod and all that, Children should only be spanked and disciplined for things like disobedience and defiance. If they're a little careless and spill a glass of milk, don't, don't spank them. Don't, for, for careless child, um, carelessness and being a child, we, we gotta be careful with that, okay? But it's defiance and, and uh, disobedience rebellion is where they need to be punished. And don't be afraid to do it. Once again, you're the parent, you're the grandparent. For the past two years... I have been reading a chapter of Proverbs every morning to start my day. It's the first thing I do. After I pray, I read uh, a chapter in Proverbs. And it's you know 31 days and most months, there's 31 chapters in Proverbs. Uh, I believe that this book of the Bible is probably the best book for rearing children because it gives you instructions as parents. It gives you warnings about all the behaviors that you don't want your children to participate in. And it keeps me on the right track for obtaining wisdom and guidance because I'm reading a chapter every morning. It doesn't take that long to do so. There are many verses in the Old and New Testament to talk about child rearing, many. But I'm gonna tell you, Proverbs is spot on. And if you don't do this, I highly recommend, I don't care who you are, married, unmarried, no kids, kids, get the book of Proverbs and read it every morning and start doing that. It's going to give you wisdom and insight Now, I've shared some scriptures with you. Now, I'd like to talk a little bit about the role of prayer. And I mentioned about my dad, talking about his prayer. I have a confession to make. There have been times when people have made prayer requests. And with the busyness of life and all that, sometimes I'm not praying for those requests as I should. But the one thing that I have been faithful in all of my adult life since I've had children is I pray for my children, I pray for their spouses, and I pray for my grandchildren. I prayed that all of my children would accept Christ as Savior and that they would marry fellow believers. And guess what, God answered those prayers. Once again, I'm not gonna pat myself on the back because he who boasts, boasts in the Lord. They had godly teachers, they had godly church workers, they had godly family members, okay? But I prayed and God answered those prayers. I've been praying for the salvation of my grandchildren as well, and many of them in their young years have become believers. I don't know if they're all saved yet, I have thirteen of them, but I continue to pray that God will save them all. Uh, Proverbs seventeen sixteen says, Children's children are a crown to the aged, and parents are the pride of their children. And I think that's true, and this can occur with constant prayer. I want to share with you, and I've, I shared this uh, a couple times with parents at Grace Brother and Christian School in Clinton that were struggling with, uh, with their children, and I shared this with them, and uh, you know, if you want to write this down, that's fine. There's no copyright on this or anything else, but this is a prayer that I pray just about every single day. Dear Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will draw my children, grandchildren to you, in this case, my grandchildren. That they will not commit the eternal sin of unbelief. Because I think that's the only sin in the scripture that you're going to go to hell for. It's rejecting Christ. I believe that he died on a cross to forgive every other sin. That they will accept you as Savior. That you will write their names in your book of life. And not a single one of them will be lost. This is a daily prayer. Daily prayer. And, And I see Christ honoring that prayer right now. I want to share um, one last encouragement with you, going back to the Proverbs 26, 22, six passage. It talks about raising your children in the way they should go. My family, there were four of us. I was the oldest. I have a couple sisters and a brother, and we spanned 16 years. So I, I really didn't know my siblings super well because I was so much older than them. But they were raised in a church they were raised in a Christian home, and I'm just going to be very general because if, if this is uh, on the webpage and I have them watch it, I, I don't want to badmouth them too much and you know, have them be mad at me. But I'm just going to simply say that three of them walked away from Christ for a time in their lives. And I know my dad and mom were praying for them. I was praying for them, and the neat thing is to see them coming back to see them now acknowledging Christ as Savior, going to church, serving him, and then seeing some of my nieces and nephews now following Christ. And I didn't think that was possible five, 10, 15 years ago. I didn't because I didn't see it. And now I see it. I see that biblical truth coming back. It's a biblical truth along with the prayers. So I want to encourage you that that's the case that you keep praying. Um, You have children You have grandchildren, you have nieces, nephews, brothers, sisters, parents, extended family members. Another thing that I'm doing is I have some extended family members that I know aren't saved. So I include them in my prayers many days a week. As long as there's life, pray, teach, exhort, say no to your children on occasion when you have to, provide discipline to them, keep them from becoming self-indulged, and be persistent in your prayers and place your family into Christ's hands. That's my final encouragement. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for this church. And this church believes in reaching people for Christ. They have ministries in this church. They have a Christian school that's teaching children about Christ. A couple of weeks ago, Joseph, or a young person accepted Christ, and Joseph on a retreat accepted Christ. And we thank you for this. Lord, I want to pray for all the families in here. Lord, you know the struggles that they're going through that I have no idea about, but you know them. And I pray that the parents and grandparents in here and single people will look to reach children, look to reach family members that are lost for you. And we want to ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.